Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. We're not going to spend a lot of time this morning dealing with the city of Laodicea. We've done that a little bit on Sunday nights. I want to just simply make three notations about the city of Laodicea in which this particular church was located in order to give you a little bit better understanding as to what the Lord actually said to this church in Laodicea. There were three things about the city. Number one, it was a banking center, meaning that it was extremely wealthy. That city had more money than it knew what to do with, and the church in that city had lots of money. That was not one of its problems. Secondly, it was the center of the clothing industry. Garments were made there of the latest fashion. It was the Paris of today's society where the designs are are developed for, for garments. Thirdly, it had the leading medical school. The best hospital in the world was in Laodicea with the best doctors and they specialized in eye surgery. They could make anybody see. They had a particular salve that was developed in that town for the anointment of people with eye problems. And so these are the three things that the city was noted for and they come into play when the Lord gives the message to the church in Laodicea. Now, first of all, he describes himself as the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation. Let me say very quickly three things about the description of the Lord as he identifies himself. You notice that in in all of the seven letters that we have read, he has identified himself to that church by a particular phrase. They've all been different. This one he calls the amen. That word means truth beyond any doubt. Truth beyond any doubt is the literal meaning of the word amen. We sometimes use it to say, and so be it, and so on, and use it to close out our prayers. But the literal meaning of it is truth beyond doubt. He calls himself the faithful and true witness. If you are ever called to be a witness, get on the witness stand. The lawyer wants to know three things about you before he puts you up there. He wants to know if you saw anything. You cannot testify what somebody else saw or knows. You've got to testify as to what your personal knowledge is on the subject. Jesus Christ has the personal knowledge of the the kingdom of God. Therefore, he could be a witness. The second thing that you have to know about the person, is he honest? Will he, in fact, tell the truth on the witness stand, or will he lie? And there is a penalty for lying on the witness stand, you know. So he wants to know if you're truthful. The Lord identifies himself as absolute truth. And then thirdly, is the lawyer wants to know if you're reputable. Is the testimony that you're going to give on the witness stand something that the jury will believe? Or is your lifestyle such 
that people would raise their eyebrows and wonder if you really know what you're talking about. Sometimes people raise their eyebrows at us in the church and wonder if we know what we preach and what we teach because sometimes our lives don't reflect it. But when it comes to Jesus Christ, we can be sure his reputation is impeccable. There is not an error whatever in his testimony, and it is this person that is speaking to the church. And thirdly, he talks about himself as being the beginning of the creation. Not that he was the first created, because he is the source of creation. As John tells us in the first chapter in verse 3, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And so we are dealing with a supreme Savior speaking to the church. Now this church did not receive any commendations. There was nothing good said to the church at Laodicea. No brags. No uh, wonderful words spoken. All that he said to them was in condemnation. He condemned them for their life. And the thing that was wrong with them more than anything else, you will find in those words uh, in the 15th verse, was they were lukewarm. He said, I wish you were hot or I would prefer you to be cold. But you're lukewarm and as a result of your lukewarmness, I'll spew you out of my mouth. There are some things that people do not like that are lukewarm. Most things. When we eat, we want it hot or cold. Warm coffee, just warm coffee, is absolutely repulsive to me. I've got to heat it up. It's got to be, it's got to be hot. Most things are that way. The Lord says, I am not satisfied that you are lukewarm. I would prefer that you were absolutely cold instead of being lukewarm. What I really want, the Lord is saying, is for you to be on fire. The word that he uses, let me give you two words for cold and warm, or cold and hot that are used here. Sucrose is the word for freezing. And that's the word that the Lord uses here. I would prefer you to be frozen as to being lukewarm. And the word he uses for hot is zestos, which means boiling. I want you to be on fire, he says. And the fact that you are absolutely lukewarm is unacceptable to me. This is the attitude of indifference. Indifference. I want to go back to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. I want you to listen to the first five verses of this chapter. He says this, This know also that in the last days, and we'll start talking about that tomorrow, uh, next Sunday evening, in the last days perilous times shall come. Now here's a description of the last days. Consider it now and compare it to, to present day time. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce makers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of that, uh, those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, 
And here's the phrase I want you to get about the church. Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. Is not this today's society and is not this today's church in general? And we ought to be praying to God that the Olive Branch Missionary Baptist Church is not a church of Laodicea. Because if we are, he's going to reject us and spew us out of his mouth. He will not accept this lackadaisical, indifferent, lukewarm attitude that is expressed in so many churches today. Verse 17 of this same chapter here in Revelation 3. The other thing I want you to notice. Thou sayest... I am rich and increased with goods. The second problem that he points out to the church of Laodicea is that they have deceived themselves into thinking they're something that they're not. You see, it is nearly impossible for a person or a church to read this letter and say, hey, that applies to me. I'm lukewarm. We don't perceive of ourselves in those terms. And he said, and you say certain things about yourself, and we'll deal with more of those in a minute. It's self-deceit, convincing oneself that he's okay. I have talked to many, 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 many people. And the one thing that impresses me about all of those conversations that is for the most part Nobody sees themselves in relationship to what the scripture has to say. It's the other guy. One of the people that I work with, some, on a trip up to one of the other counties. And I, the conversation seems to always get around to the Bible and God somehow or other. conversation was something dealing with one's relationship to the Lord and I said you can go to church all you want to go and read the Bible all you want to be and be as moral as you want to be but unless you've accepted Jesus Christ you're going to hell and suddenly the subject was totally changed because this person could not see himself in relationship to Jesus Christ like the scripture identified him. There are many people who come to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday all across this country and world not seeing themselves in the light of the scripture. Jesus said to the church, you're lukewarm, but they say, hey, we're rich. We don't have need of anything self-deceit my wife has a brother who will according to the doctors be dead in a few months he's been told that he has a limited time now he lives in Florida never been a church person at all never accepted Christ he called last night. He wants to make arrangements for all of his family 
his sisters and brothers, and there are 13 of my wife's family, 13 brothers and sisters. He wants them all together. At Thanksgiving time, he thinks he'll live that long. We don't think he will. He wants to have a memorial service in the church, the old church that he grew up in, in the honor of his dad. We know in our hearts what he's asking. He's wanting to make some kind of effort to get right. And he's using this as an excuse to do it because he doesn't yet see himself as needing salvation. Whether he will before that day is yet undetermined. There are many people hiding themselves behind the, the church service and saying, I go, I have participated, I sat there, we had a wonderful service, and this makes me right. But the scripture says, except ye repent, ye shall also likewise perish. Now look at Laodicea's description of herself. They're rich, they said. We're rich. Self-deceit. But the scripture says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. You heard it said, you can't take it with you. That's right. But you can send it ahead. Your life on earth will determine what you have as your reward in heaven. They say we're rich. We don't need anything. We increase in goods. And this is one of the problems of the Laodicean church as a church body and many churches today is that many churches think that that they're right with the Lord because they have a fine building and fine programs and a fine preacher and fine deacons and fine Sunday school teachers. Well, all of that is certainly good and it's important that we have. But listen, our relationship to Jesus Christ is not based upon our building and our programs and our preachers and our Sunday school teachers and our deacons. It's based upon a personal relationship, a one-to-one -one with Jesus Christ. Now what does the Lord say about this church? He said they're wretched and miserable. How much would it take to satisfy you monetarily? If you had X number of dollars and you could say, that will satisfy me, I would never want another dollar. How much would it be? Someone asked Nelson Rockefeller one time how much it would take to satisfy him. He said, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. But riches doesn't satisfy. Because it always demands that we have a little more than we have. We can be satisfied only in Jesus Christ. And he said, this church, you're wretched and miserable. You've got plenty in the bank, but you're always wanting more. But you don't really have what it takes to satisfy the yearning of your soul. He also said they were poor. Poor? With all that money in the bank and they're poor? 
the Lord asked this question in Mark 8.36, What does it profit a man if he gain the whole world but lose his own soul? Folks, we could become so wealthy that J. Paul Getty and the Rockefellers and the Vanderbilts and all of the other wealthy people put together could not match our dollar value. We could become that rich even if we were that rich but did not know Jesus Christ. We are absolutely a pauper in the sight of God. The only thing that makes one rich is to have Jesus Christ. The Lord gave us a parable of the rich man who tore down his barns because he didn't have enough room to put all of his goods. And he was sitting back bragging, Soul, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry, for you've got much goods laid up for years to come. And the Lord said, Thou fool, tonight thy soul shall be required of you. He also said they were blind. Well, we'll not spend much time on that because of time. But remember, they thought that they had the best eye care in all of the world, but they did not know that they were not really seeing at all. He said they were naked. Adam and Eve thought that they were in good shape and they walked in the garden without any clothing and they weren't ashamed and then they disobeyed God and suddenly they discovered that they were unclothed and they sewed fig leaves together to make themselves aprons that they might hide their nakedness from God and from each other. We come into church with our fines on. You have your, uh, ladies have your good dresses on and and we have suits or, or sports clothes on as men. We come dressed well and we can deceive ourselves in, as we look at each other because we only see the external. And all of us look beautiful and fine this morning. Everybody's face is washed and hair is combed and the clothes are clean. You're beautiful looking people. We all love each other because of our external beauty. But listen, we might very well be beautiful on the outside and full of corruption on the inside. Man can't see that corruption, but God sees through the heart into the very depths of the soul and He knows what you're made of inside. And that's where it counts, not on the external. You cannot hide from God your ugliness and filthiness, my ungodliness and, and uh, materials that I have in my life that are repulsive to God are well seen by God. I can't fool him. And Adam and Eve went hiding behind the trees. And the Lord said, where are you? And they stepped forth and he said to them, have you eaten of that tree that I told you not to eat of? They were naked. And God saw through it. Look at the counsel the Lord gives them. He said, if you want to be rich, then you buy gold from me. If you want to be clothed, you buy raiment from me. I want us to pause on this raiment. All of us have gone to weddings. And you ladies usually go into your closet and you open up the door and you exclaim to your husband, I don't have a thing to wear. And there's hangs 10,000 dresses and 40,000 pairs of shoes. Nothing to wear. Listen, in the kingdom of God, you only need one garment. And it's given to you by God himself. It's made out of white, 
material. It represents purity. And if you're going to be in the wedding of Jesus Christ to his church, you're going to be clothed in white raiment. And the Lord said, buy your garment from me. That's the only thing we need to be clothed with. We can throw our suits and our dresses away as long as we are clothed spiritually with the clothing that God has prepared for us. Then we will be fine. He says, buy from me, I salve also. The natural man can't see clearly. It's only the spiritual man that can understand the things that are spiritual. Your eyes need to be opened. Fourthly, and he has said this time and time again throughout these churches, repent. I think we cannot uh, overemphasize this fact, is repent. I want to ask you, is your repentance up to date? Or have you gotten behind on your repenting? Then listen to what he said here in conclusion. He gives some counsel to individuals. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Holman Hunt painted a beautiful painting that most of you and perhaps all of you have seen of Christ standing at the heart's door and knocking. One of the first people that looked at that painting said, There's something wrong with it. There's no door latch on the outside of that door. And Holman Hunt said, That's right, because that is a heart, and the heart can only be opened from the inside. If you want Jesus Christ into your life and you don't have him there now, you can have him there by simply opening the door because he stands continually knocking at your heart's door to seek entrance. It's a simple case of saying, who's there? And the Lord says, it is Jesus Christ your Savior. What do you want? He says, I want to come in. I want to come in and sup with you. Sup means to, to feast, to linger, to stay for a long period of time. The Lord knocks at your heart's door. Let me suggest just three ways that he knocks. Number one, he knocks by his word. As you read God's word, you're going to hear him knock. Secondly, he knocks by the testimony of the people that are saved. Thirdly, he may knock by providence. Let me tell you this little story to illustrate it, and I shall close. A man and his family were traveling in their automobile and crossing a train, a railroad track. The train was coming, the lights were flashing, but he was convinced that he could make it. And he took his family across that track in his car, and the train just barely touched the back end of the car. It didn't do any damage. Everybody's heart beat fast, excitement, but they went on. Mary, the youngest daughter in the family, said, Dad, if you'd been one second later our whole family would have been in hell except for me. That father was so touched by the faith of his little girl 
that he stopped the car and turned to little Mary and said, Tell me, Mary, how do we get to heaven too? A little child shall lead them. It may be by providence that God has spared your life and my life to this point in time in order that we might have an opportunity to believe. D.L. Moody preached many years ago and in Chicago on one service, had, as was his habit, he, he was saying to the congregation, think about it today and come back tonight and make a decision or come back tomorrow night. That was his normal pattern. There was a gentleman in that congregation that took his advice and told D.L. Moody he would think about it and come back the next night. Before that day was over, this man had been killed in an automobile accident and he went out into eternity because he took time to think about it. D.L. Moody from that day on never made that statement again. He said, today is the day of salvation. I'm not going to suggest to you that you go think about it that you wait until tonight, or that you wait until tomorrow, or next week. I'm suggesting to you that today is the day of salvation. If you have heard the Lord Jesus Christ standing at your heart's door and knocking, now is the time to receive him. Now is the time to make the decision that you've been deliberating on this morning. Yield to him your life. Just step out of your seat and come forward as we sing our invitation here. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.